forward uh, to it. Pastor Jordan, actually, um, he's cutting edge. Uh, he's not only our youth pastor, but he is pioneering our online uh, reach congregation. And so doing all kinds of new things behind the scenes. Uh, would you join me in welcoming Pastor Jordan? Wow. Alrighty. Hey, good morning, church. How are we doing? Good. Who's awake? No one. <laughs> okay. No, it's so great to be here in, in, um, in person with you guys. Um, as Chris mentioned, I'm Jordan. I'm the youth pastor here at uh, FGA. And where are all the youth? Are we got any youth here on a Sunday morning? They're on their phones. <laughs> um, but also want to welcome Empower as well. Come on, Empower. Let's, let's hear it. Yeah, better than the youth, better than the youth. Um, but I believe, Empower, you guys are going to be counting some words today. Is that right? Okay, so you're going to be counting the words hope and suffering. Is that correct? Okay, great. Well, we'll start from now because, yeah, I'll be saying a lot. Okay, so it's hope, 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 hope. No, <laughs> you don't have to include that. All right. All right, cool. Well, hey, if you've been following along um, Throughout these Sundays, we've been going through this series, uh, 15 Words That Change Everything. Um, and throughout this series, we'll be highlighting 15 key themes um, that are evident in the New Testament. Um, throughout this series, um, we'll be, I guess, highlighting some of these prominent themes to help us understand how we as Christians can live our, our life here on earth. And not really just to inform our theology. Uh, I think oftentimes we can just have such a good head knowledge of, of the Word of God, but ultimately God calls us to live it out. Amen. And specifically today, I'll be talking about hope. Okay. Um, can I ask you guys, what does hope mean to you? What does hope mean to you? <clears throat> you know, the English word for hope can actually be used in, in a whole bunch of different ways. And some of the times, some of the ways that we focus on it can either look in ways of events or situations, relationships, and sometimes these things that we hope for are quite trivial, aren't they? Um, you know, as a kid, when I was a kid, I, I hoped that when my parents picked me up from school that they would take me to Macca's and get me the soft serve ice cream cone. I, I always looked forward to that. Um, as a teenager, I hoped that the girl I had a crush on sat next to me in assembly, or at the very least would comment on my MySpace profile photo, right? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Um, as a young adult, I hoped that I had a good enough ATAR to get me into the course that I wanted to get to, you know, even hoping that I'd get a job interview to maybe the dream job that I've always wanted to have. I, and maybe you've come into this year and you've hoped to, to lose some, some weight. Maybe you hope to lose about 10 kilos or maybe depending on your goals, you wanted to gain 10 kilos. You know, for myself now being a father, I hope that my two boys end up to be men of God, right? <laughs> and my wife hopes that they never grow up, they stay young, and they never get married. You know, she was very emotional last week because Judah just turned five, um, and it's, it's just crazy um, to see where, where he is now. Um, see, hope always anticipates an outcome, doesn't it? Hope always anticipates an outcome. And true hope is, is really not about um, searching and working for an outcome, but rather it's about partnering with a God over an out outcome, despite the outcome. Um, if I could point you to Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance and evidence of things hoped for, um, for the convictions of things not seen. And I wanted to highlight this to you all because hope um, ultimately is our everyday decision to respond in faith. And, you know, if you've been reading the Bible reading um, plan, if you've been following along with it, um, I think it's a really great opportunity for us to get God's Word in us. And just like Chris said, as we continue to get something good in us, it becomes a part of who we are. And it's funny that I was just thinking of a dad joke, and then i got to say it now I'm up here. You know, the, the, the link to the Bible reading plan is BRP, and I said it last time at 4 p.m. You, you can remember it as burp, but I was thinking about, oh, why do we burp? It's because we're just so full of God's Word that as a result, we can't help that regurgitate it, and, and as a result, it becomes a part of the atmosphere. 
atmosphere, right? And, and I'm believing that as we get God's Word in us, that even in our home, that we'd be burping, you know, the result of that. Amen? <laughs> anyway, that was a side note. But as you read through God's Word, you can't help but look at His, at His Word and realize that hope is sprinkled out throughout Scripture. Um, and specifically today, I actually want to laser in on one of the, the accounts that I came across in, in the New Testament. Um, and it's actually the account of the woman with the issue of blood. And I, I really believe that when we laser in on these themes, that actually when we look at God's Word, and even the people representing God's Word, they really bring it to life. So I want to laser in on that account today. Um, I'm going to be looking at the account in Mark, which is in Mark 5, verses 25 to 34. If you want to read along, it's on screen. Uh, but this is what it says from verse 25. It says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see, the oh, you see the people crowding around against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Um, <clears throat> while I'm at it, I want to share a quick story. Um, I've been quickly. Uh, I've been recently getting into gardening. Any people into the gardening um, here in this church? Don't lie. I know you, there's a bunch of gardeners in here. Um, one thing I realized about gardening is that it's a long game. It's a long game, and I thought by simply sowing some seeds into a garden bed or sowing some seeds into the soil, all I need to do was wait a couple of days or weeks, and boom, you got your your harvest. Right? <laughs> I quickly realized that it actually required work. Um, it turns out that there are these things called possums that are of the devil. Can I get an amen? Um, every attempt that I had in trying to produce any sort of harvest failed due to the fact that possums existed in this world. Um, I, my tomatoes, all gone. Chilies, who knew that possums ate chilies? Like I had an entire plant all the chilies were gone, and they were pretty spicy chilies as well. Um, so if you, if you want to plant chilies, just beware of possums. Um, there's all the other things, like obviously the, the weather, you've got to account for the wind, you've got to account for the heat, you've got to account for um, even the cold frost as well. Uh, and then on top of that, you've got you know, insects and all these bugs that want to um, eat up all your crop as well. And I share this story because hope as a follower of Christ is similar to this process in a sense. You know, not so much about the prevention um, and the avoidance of trials, but actually holding fast to the end in mind. See, in, in particular, throughout the epistles, um, Paul would constantly spur on the beleaguered church, um, beleaguered church communities. And Paul would encourage them not to shrink from, you know, their trials and their problems and their fears, but rather to equip hope uh, as a weapon of their choice in their time of despair. So why is hope so important, you're asking? Why, is, why are we speaking about it today? Um, I want to quote C.S. Lewis, and he quotes this. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. You know, Paul, he confesses something of similar vein, actually. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, he says, If the Christian hope is not fulfilled and proven to be true, in the end, it will all be for nothing. You see, hope allows us to see life through the lens of eternity. See, it's this tension of already, but not yet. And just like a seed has a DNA and potential to become something bigger than itself, so too can we have confidence that God has something bigger planned for us, despite what we are facing right now in our situation. Amen? Amen. So, the title of my sermon today is um, Hope Changes Everything. Hope Changes Everything. Let me pray. Lord God, um, we just want to thank you 
um, for the hope that is available in Christ Jesus. Today as a church, we want to um, laser in on this idea of hope. And as we fixate on, on Jesus, help us realize that, Father, you want to partner with us as we enter in, in this life, um, living it out, as well as hoping for what you have for us in eternity. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. First point I want to bring up is this, a hope uh, planted, not buried. A hope planted, not buried. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I have two boys. Um, Judah is definitely the most mature out of the two. Um, and Noah, he, he's not quite there yet, so we'll be praying for him. He's still two. <laughs> but Noah, um, I want to talk about Noah for a second because Noah has been going to pre-kinder. Um, and one of the things that we notice every time we pick him up is he either has no shoes on or at least one of them is missing. Um, so, you know, we'll go up to his carers and we'll ask them, hey, you know, where is his shoes? It's like, oh, he's lost his shoes again. So going looking for his shoes, they look over and under, near and far, they can't find his shoes. So um, there was this one time um, we, we, we gave up. So we're like, all right, we'll turn up. He's got a bunch of other shoes at home, I guess. So a um, couple of weeks passed and um, we, cut, we rock up to, to pre-kinder and they found his shoe. Praise the Lord. Um, they found his shoe and it turns out either Noah or his friends, you know, I don't know what they're doing, right? They decided to bury his shoe in the sand pit. They found it in the sand pit, okay? Interesting. Anyone still doing that? No, okay, it's okay. You don't have to answer that. Um, and why I bring this story up is because I want to actually highlight that what we bury in the ground matters. You bury your shoe in the ground, what, is, what happens? Does it sprout into a shoe tree and it produces shoe fruit? Sounds amazing, right? <laughs> um, but that's not what happens. But now when, if you look at the seed, if you bury a seed into the ground, into the dark soil, evidently what will happen? It will go through a process of transformation. See, the difference between the seed and the shoe is that the seed goes through a period of transformation for the better, but the shoe stays in isolation for the worse. The seed has to deny itself. It has to break out of its husk and go through this process of germination. But you see, the shoe is stubborn. The shoe is stubborn and, and doesn't want to make any effort uh, to, to get out of its situation. And if anything, the shoe is actually not utilized for what it was created to do. It's just getting dirty and potentially damaged the longer it remains in there. See, the seed is only a seed for a season, but the shoe is left to be a shoe forever. See, if we look back at the, the story in Mark chapter 5 about the woman with the issue of blood, um, she is evidently going through a season of suffering, isn't she? Uh, according to the Jewish tradition of the time, her issue of blood actually disqualified her from taking part in any aspect of worship due to her condition. They excommunicated her from the services of the synagogue and shut her out from the women's courts in the temple, essentially the women's ministry of the church. And, you know, in her desperation, we see her seeking help from doctors and physicians to heal her from her condition. But sadly, it proves to be um, you know, it proves to be for her worse, and her condition actually gets worse. And actually what happens, and what we see is that if she goes away and touches people in her condition, according to the Levitical law, she would um, have been made, she would have actually made that person she has touched unclean and also disqualified from being able to worship. See, by the very law of her people, she was even um, told to divorce her husband, um, and she was not allowed to live at home. She was, you know, even her friends weren't allowed to talk to her. She was essentially ostracized from all of society. And, and just in this instance, we can see that it sounds like she's going through a pretty hopeless situation. She had a choice in this moment in time to think shoe or to think seed. See, to think shoe in that moment would mean to give up on hope and to remain buried in the ground and to, to beat herself up, to pity herself, to, to wallow in her sorrow and just you know, convince herself that it's all, um, she, she deserved it. I, I wonder, have you been there before? Have you been in a place where you've just wallowed in your sorrow? You know, the enemy is real and he has a tendency to whisper lies to us. 
you know. And when we're not careful, we can fall into his trap and actually end up listening to what he has to say. We listen to his lies over standing on the truth of God. You know, John Acuff, he's one of my favorite Christian leaders of today. He is a New York Times bestselling author, and he has a book called Soundtracks. And one of the things that stood out to me, he says this in his book, he says, if you listen to any thought long enough, it becomes a part of your personal playlist. I want to ask you, church, what's on your personal playlist right now? What are you allowing to loop over and over again in your head? What did, you know, for all the young people out there, like what was on your Spotify um, wrapped of 2022 last year? You know, for me, I've got my playlist for the gym. I've got my playlist for, for worshipping. And, you know, my wife has prepped up a playlist for our kids, which, you know, has, you know, One Way Jesus, which is now a Kidsman song, apparently. Um, it was, you know, it was a praise song back when I was in youth ministry. But, you know, I'm sure this woman... This woman would have had a playlist of thoughts that she was repeating over and over again in her head. But I wonder, I wonder what would happen if we changed up our playlist. I wonder what would happen if we went from sad boy hours to Maverick City music or Hillsong worship, whatever it is. We would inadvertently begin to shift from having shoe mentality to seed mentality, where seed mentality says, just because I'm small now doesn't mean I'll always be. Just because I'm not producing fruit now doesn't mean I never will. Just because I'm buried now doesn't mean I'll stay here. Just because I'm in the dark does not mean I will see the light. See, ultimately to think seed calls us to see suffering as seasonal. See, Paul even goes to the point to say that we as believers um, see that our suffering is a blessing from God. Not because that suffering in itself is, in, um, is inherently good, but our suffering affords us an opportunity to grow our faith and hope. Romans 5.2 says, Through Him we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I find it interesting that Paul doesn't stop at character, but I believe that Paul's intention was to show us that yes, you can be a good person where you can display a character that is of high standard, but the challenge I believe he wants us to wrestle with is are you living a life of hope that is anchored in serving the purposes of God? Are you living a life of hope that is anchored in serving the purposes of God? And if the answer is no, then maybe you need to suffer for Jesus more. <laughs> Maybe you need to, sh to suffer for Jesus more. Maybe your life is just too comfortable. Maybe you just need to cut some things out of your life. Maybe you just need to reduce the amount of Instagram that is actually informing that soundtrack that is looping over and over again in your head. Maybe you need to, to cut um, the amount of K-drama or video games that you are allowing to take um, hold of your life. And can I encourage you? Maybe it's time to go on a fast. Maybe it's time to, to deny yourself and to focus on the things of God. See, we spend our entire lives avoiding friction. We avoid friction, we avoid suffering, and as a result, we don't get a chance to experience the gospel in our own lives. You know, John, um, uh, Jesus says in, in John 16, 33, and we know this scripture so well, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus guarantees that we will have points of suffering. You will have points of friction in your life. And, and yet he has the audacity to say that, that we'll have peace in and through it all. You know, I was getting flashbacks when I read that scripture as I was preparing of when we were about to have Noah as our second son. And I remember multiple people coming up to us saying, number two is when it gets hard. <laughs> number two is when you're going to have your first fight in your marriage. Number two is when you're going to start losing hair. And, you know, it's, that's, that's what we were prepped up for. 
it's almost as if they were telling us these things so that we might be prepared for the suffering, for the trials. And, and we knew what to expect. So what do we do? We braced ourselves. <laughs> we braced ourselves. No matter how hard you try to avoid suffering as a parent, it's impossible. Like trials and kids, it just goes together in the same sentence almost every time. Like even this morning, it was like I was deciding whether or not I should come with Ruth. And my goodness, it was, yeah, it was difficult bringing the boys here today. But I'm suffering for Jesus. <laughs> suffering for Jesus. Amen. All the parents are like, yes, amen. <laughs> Um, you see, the, the peace that God has for us is not equal to the absence of trials. It's not equal to the absence of your suffering, but it's equal to the presence of the God that is in the midst of it all. Amen? See, the goal then isn't to pursue suffering. I'm not saying to after service today, go hang yourself on a cross and suffer like Jesus did. That's not what I'm trying to say here. But the goal is about pursuing the things of God. You know, Matthew 6, 19, 21, and Heechin, you said it earlier today, but I want to read it. It says, Do not store yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where the thieves break in and steal, but store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I believe that's why Jesus calls us to focus on the, th on the things of God not to focus on the things of this world because you see, the things of this world is temporary. The things of this world will eventually fade away. And when we're not careful, we can find comfort in the temporary. We can find comfort in, in building up our own lives and our own treasures here that we forget about the things that matter, the things of eternity. And like Noah's shoe, it will just remain buried and forgotten and not utilized for what it was intended for. See, if we're going to suffer for God, we actually need to do it in a way that lives out this hope. We need to get out of our comfort zone. John Maxwell says, if we're growing, it's always going to happen outside of our comfort zone. Can I encourage you today, as a result, let's, let's think seed. Let's think seed. Because I believe that God has sown you as a seed in your circumstance for a reason. God has not buried you in your situation, but rather he's preparing you for a future and a hope and a, a life of breakthrough. Amen. Number two, hope as vision, hope as action. Um, I remember when, uh, before I came, became a pastor, I was working um, in a branding agency and I remember I had to take leave because I was a youth leader at the time. And uh, I had to take leave for youth camp, which is coming up. And um, obviously, I had to take annual leave. And I was talking to one of my colleagues about it. And, and he was looking at me very strangely. And um, I'm like, well, what's, what's the matter? He said, oh, so wait, let me get this straight. You're taking annual leave, <laughs> taking time off work, not to spend it with your family or go on a holiday, but you're using your annual leave to go and hang out with a bunch of t teenagers in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, yeah, you bet I am. You bet I am. Um, and, you know, I think about it. As a young person myself, my local youth ministry was actually a safe place for me. Um, it was my escape when things at home weren't going well. And I knew that every time I get picked up by my leader and I entered into, you know, worship with all my friends, that, that actually I, could not, I wouldn't have to focus on that anymore and I can just focus on God. And... You know, the question I, I get posed now as a, as a pastor is, why do you do what you do? And I have all these conversations now um, with, with people um, due to my vocation. And now that I'm seeing other parents that, you know, my kids, if they're going to parties, like Chris was saying last time, you know, it happens all the time now, right? Um, and I get asked this, why do you do what, I, what, what you do? And I do what I do and because of who I used to be and, and actually now of who I am now. And my hope now as a pastor is to see a generation of people, whether young and old, know who they are in Christ, where, where they know that there is a God out there who has something better than what this world has to offer them. That's why I do what I do. And, you know, Craig Rochelle, um, he says, 
you do what you do because of what you think of you. You do what you do because of what you think of you. I love that. And it really means that the habits of our life, the habits that we, we um, play out in, in our day-to-day and the decisions that we make in our day-to-day ultimately make up us who we are. And, and really, it's the result of our perception of ourselves. So I want to ask you, what do you think about yourself? Who are you? Are you just an accountant? Are you just a talented musician? Are you an extrovert that just constantly is always out? And, or are you an introvert that is not constantly always out? <laughs> or are you a straight-A student? Are you that awesome volleyball player, or that awesome league player? Whatever it is, right? Who are you? What do you think of yourself? Because I want to challenge you with this simple fact that if that's all you think of you, that's all you'll be. Not that any of these things are bad. I'm not, I'm not saying don't go be an accountant, don't go play volleyball. But I know that God is bigger than all of these things. Part of this hope, which I believe that we've been given, is to help us realize that we are more than what we can make of ourselves. See, we live in a world that is about hustling, you know, making money, getting a wife, making more money, you know, and hopefully not getting another wife, right? But, <laughs> but, but the truth of the Bible, <laughs> the truth of the Bible is that we are not who we are meant to be until we realize that God's plan is better than our plan. Amen. See, part of the hoping process then requires us to tap into a mind of Christ where we think and dream and even see um, through the lens of Christ. Just like we see in Colossians 3, um, where it says, where it calls us to set our minds on the things above and not on earthly things. See, this process isn't just having vague wishes about an ethereal future in heaven where now we can just sit around, do nothing, and just be like, yep, God's got inheritance for me. I'm all good. I'm just going to sit around, go to church, and boom, I'll get my inheritance. That's, that's, that's not it, guys. <laughs> it means that sometimes we actually got to take action. Sometimes we got to read our Bible. <laughs> we got to do something that costs us our time, our money, our energy, sometimes even our reputation. And, and yes, God has promised us a future. He has a future for us where there'll be no more suffering as we see, no more tears, no more evil, and we would rise to glory with Jesus. But in the meantime, church, can I say that we've got some work to do? We've got some work to do. There are young people out there, young people out there that need to know of this hope. There are people in our families that need to know of this hope. There are people in this room. You've entered into this room today not knowing to, what, what to expect, but God wants to know his hope that is available for you. See, sometimes we're too busy. We're holding so tightly to the old things. As a result, God can't do a new thing. And hey, not to say that he can't do a new thing. It's just we won't let him. We won't let him. You know, for myself, um, <clears throat> I don't know if you can tell, but I'm actually blind. <laughs> I'm actually quite blind. I'm negative four on both eyes. I'm short-sighted. Um, so it's not the best um, eyesight. I actually wear contact lenses pretty much every day. Uh, but as a teenager, I was very stubborn. Um, my, I remember my mom telling me, I think you need glasses. I'm like, no, nah, I'm fine. You know, I'm good. And uh, I, I remember being in class, and it became so apparent that I was blind, and I couldn't even read the notes that the teacher was writing on, on, um, the, on the whiteboard. So how I would avoid it is I would go to the front of the class just so I could see and, and be able to participate in study and, and what we were doing in class. Um, I was very self-conscious. I, re- I really didn't want to get glasses at the time. I didn't want to be boxed into that identity, right? <laughs> um, it even got to the point where um, my eyesight was getting so bad that while I was on my L's, I remember this one time we were driving. It was dark and, <laughs> and um, it, it was raining <laughs> um, and we were on the freeway. <laughs> There's the cherry on top. No, um, but... I remember driving and I was like, oh, I think I need my glasses. I was already on the freeway at that point. And mom was just really scared. She's like, you're swerving, you're swerving. She's yelling at me and she's telling me um, to stay on, um, on track. And I'm, re- I'm realizing I think I need, I need help. <laughs> I think I have a problem. Um, and I'm sure all the moms are like, yep, yep, see, see. <laughs> um, 
I needed to take action. And I remember the exact day I got my glasses, it was like I was a new person. It was like I was a new person. I was once blind, <laughs> but now I could see in Jesus' name. Um, but you see, here's the thing. To live out hope meant that actually it's not just that one time, but every single day I got to put on the glasses. Every single day I got to put on the contact lenses. Apparently you got you to clean your contact lenses in the correct way. Um, I always get told off by the optometrist for not doing that properly. But you see, there is a responsibility on our part. Sometimes we even lose our glasses as they break and we've got to get new ones. We need to be active in how we um, live out our hope in the same way. See, we must play our part for clarity in our vision. Why? Because if you want to have vision, you can't hold on to the old ways. You want to have revelation of God, you can't live like you used to. I'm sorry, but you can't. Hope is essentially like a muscle. You've got to work at it. You've got to keep putting it to work. You know, Isaiah the prophet, he spoke on behalf of God to the people of Israel to encourage them. And he says this famous scripture in Isaiah 43 verse 19. He says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You know, back then Isaiah was speaking on behalf of God whilst they were living under the old covenant. And the Israelites were required to obey God and keep the law. And in return, um, God would protect them and bless them. Um, and I can imagine that these Israelites, you know, Isaiah comes in and prophesies a new future, a new hope for them. And they're fixated on their old ways. They're like, oh, there's a new future. But I love, I love making idols. I love making sacrifices on the altar. And the hope was in their religion. The hope was in what they were doing. The hope was in the law. But yet time and time again, what we see, they fall short. But the good news of the gospel is that God has done a new thing. Amen? He has done a new thing. And because He has done a new thing, He can make us new. And we are no longer bound to sin. We are no longer bound by the law. We are no longer bound to our past. We are now made new in Jesus. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone, everybody say anyone, anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed, behold, the new has come. See, my hope is that you leave here today challenged by this simple thought. Who do I want to become? What do you want to see take place in your life? Because if you want to see change, you need to change what you do. And you also need a change of what you think of yourself. You know, um, I want to go back to the story of the woman with the issue of the blood. If I get that slide up of all the people, um, yeah. Um, let's revisit this story of the woman now. Um, I could imagine that she was someone who wanted change, right? She was someone who wanted to be um, no longer ostracized by society, someone who wanted to be healthy again, someone who even wanted to go back to church and worship again, maybe. But you see, in order for her to take action, she needed to see where Jesus was. She needed to have clarity in her vision just so that she um, could get to where he was, where Jesus was. And remember, I mean, this is obviously not the exact time that it happened, but you can get a, an idea of how much people would have been surrounding Jesus. If you look throughout the Bible, there was constantly the multitudes following Jesus. And I would imagine that this same context would re reflect those same conditions. And this woman had a tricky task in itself of getting from point A, where she was, to Jesus in the midst of all these people. And she, she knew that in order for her to even have a chance of experience healing, she needed to wade through the very thing that would potentially persecute her and cause her to give up. I could imagine her running to Jesus and, you know, to her left, she sees her ex-husband. You know, she's running and then to her right, she sees the religious leaders that, that casted her out of the church and kicked her out of the women's ministry, whatever it was. And she's huddling over and then she sees her friends gossiping about her, pointing at her and laughing. She had something that she had to go through. But the, despite the obstacles and oppression that she would have to face, she had clarity in where Jesus was. 
She decided to go after Jesus. Hebrews 12.2, sorry, Hebrews 12.1-2 says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with the endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us, before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, this woman, this woman had faith. How do I know? Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. This woman hoped for a better future. This woman hoped to be made new. This woman hoped to have her relationships restored. And because of the things hoped for, it was made evident in her faith. We know that it says in Hebrews that it's impossible to please God without faith. But could I take that an extra uh, step further and say it is impossible to sustain your faith without hope. Church, can I ask you, what is the evidence of your faith today? What is the evidence of your faith today? See, you might have entered into this year wanting to be a person of faith. You wanted to be a person of faith, but can I say... You're still up till 3 a.m. playing video games or watching K-drama, whatever it is, and you're constantly late to church (laughs) or whatever it is. You want to be a person of faith, but the only time you've prayed is when you ask God to give you a job or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, right? And and you're not really a person of faith, are you? You want to be a person of faith, but the, the only time you're reading your Bible is when you know, your, your kids are asking you to read the Bible or you're just sitting on the toilet and reading you version because it's so accessible. I know, I know you guys are doing it. <laughs> we want to live a life of faith, yet the evidence of our faith is not that of hope. You know, I, I want to um, highlight this quote by James Clear, Atomic Habits, one of my favorite books. Um, he says this, he says, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs, but as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. Um, man, that's like so good, right? That's so good. Um, can I encourage you this week to be a person of faith? And as a result of claiming this new identity, could I challenge you to exercise hope this week in ways that is evident in your actions, in ways that is contrary to the old self, but now in line with who God wants you to be. Amen? Awesome. Hey, I'm coming to the end of my sermon, so you know the drill. Worship team, if you can help me land this, that'd be great. Love it. Um, I'm only here every so often, so I got to do it. Um, Number three, um, hope as an anchor. Um, R.C. Sproul uh, says this. He's a uh, Christian theologian. He says, hope is called the anchor of the soul because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish, but it is that which latches onto the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made. You know, the thing about anchors is by comparison, they look small, don't they? Um, they look insignificant. I think I got a photo of the, um, of the, is it there? It's okay if it's not, I don't remember if I put it up. But they look small. They look insignificant in comparison to the ship that it's anchoring. Yep, that's the one. That's the one. Um, but you see, when used correctly, they can keep a 250,000-ton cruise ship from going astray. See, just like an anchor to a cruise ship, so is hope to our souls. You know, so what do we need to do? What do we need to do? We need to put on our sailor's hat. (laughs) We need to let down the anchor of hope in our lives so that we don't get carried away by the the winds and the waves. And you see, this notion of letting down our anchor of hope is our decision to pray. It's your decision to to go out and to take a step of faith. It's your decision to choose righteousness even when you're tempted to sin. That's what it looks like to be letting down your anchor of hope. 
as you do it day to day, what you'll start to realize is that you're, you're a ship that is fully anchored in God. I know for some, though, you're coming here and you're hearing this message of hope and you're probably thinking, man, this is quite hard to digest. Especially when hope seems like it's, it's so foreign and it's not something that is within reach. And I'm sure we've all faced our, our trials and gone through our faith journeys where we've grappled with the contention of, of good versus evil, joy versus suffering, anger versus love, where we begin to question, how can God allow injustice in this world? How can God you know, allow poverty in this world? How can God allow my family to go through this? How can God do this to me? But when we look at Scripture, when we look at what was happening in the times of the Bible, can I say not much has changed. I read through the Scripture in particular of this woman, and I'm, I'm angered. There are people in her world that see her in her condition, yet she is still marginalized. People in her world that could have offered her a helping hand, yet she is still left to fend for herself. You think for the 12 years that she had this condition, someone would have availed themselves to, to her and to show her some compassion. Some, all of this is enough to make a blood boil. You know, if I could be real honest, this sermon um, could have, couldn't have come up in a more timely season of my life. Um, close to three months ago, um, my brother and my mother were actually involved in an aggravated burglary. Um, at the time, my mum was quite sick and um, she was staying home from work and my brother was luckily at home at the time. Coincidentally, I was actually at the house um, an hour before it happened. Um, I was actually there to bring my mum some medicine and you know, just to see if she was okay. And I remember praying for her just before I left. And soon after, someone broke into my mum's house. Um, they smashed the front window, they trashed the house. My brother ran to where my mom was. She was sleeping at the time. She was awoken by the sound of this intruder. And they were barricaded themselves in the master bedroom ensuite. And the perpetrator was threatening them um, and demanding the keys to my brother's car. And long story short, the police, they eventually caught him. Um, a couple of days later, they managed to get the car back and um, he was put into prison. Uh, actually recently, a couple of days ago, we just found out that he was actually just released from jail. And you know, my mom, she's quite, been quite distressed. She's been living with us. Um, and it was very traumatizing for her. She can't even you know, bring herself to be in the room, in, in the house where it all happened. Um, sadly, the perpetrator was actually someone we knew. He was a troubled young man. Um, he didn't have a father present. You know, his mother passed away in 2020 and he was already wanted by the police prior. And upon hearing the news of his release, I, if I could be quite honest with you, I was conflicted. <laughs> On one hand, I'm furious and angry as to why he was let out. And on the other hand, I'm a Christian. <laughs> and if I could be honest, I was angry more than anything. I, I was furious. I wanted action taken. I wanted to see justice be served. Uh, my family doesn't deserve this. And then I calmed down. <laughs> I calmed down and I realized, you know, this guy, he's just as broken as the next person. And I really felt the power of what it meant to pray for your enemies in, the, in this moment, to love those who persecute you. And I recall the love of Jesus um, the, the love that Jesus had for the very people that put Him up there on the cross, that put Him in this position to die a shameful death for those very people. And, you know, I share this story, not for your pity, but I share this story because as a family, we're living out a life of hope right now. Hope for my mom, hope for my brother, you know, even hope for this guy who hurt us. You know, all of which is anchored and fixated on Jesus. Knowing that what we face today will not be our tomorrow. Knowing that what God had for us in eternity is better than what is happening right now. See, the enemy, he wants to steal. He wants to destroy our hope. He wants to, you know, destroy our families. But you know, to him, I say not today. 
I say not today, not tomorrow, not the day after, never. Because why? I serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who reigns victorious. And hey, if you still feel angry, you still feel, you know, you know, you're questioning why this is happening to, to even myself. Can I say it's just natural to, to feel the way you're feeling? Uh, it's, it's very natural to respond in this way. See, anger should be our natural response to a world devastated by sin. See, that was Jesus' response, wasn't it? John 3, 17, just as good as John 3, 16. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. He came not to point fingers at you and that's it. He came to save you from what you're going through. And yes, your anger should lead you to action, but by the same merit, we need to be careful. We need to be careful because our hope needs to be anchored in the right thing. Otherwise, we can get carried away by our emotions, carried away in the heat of the moment by the winds and the waves and drift away into a place that is actually far from God. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do? We need to put on our sailor's hats. We've got to let down the anchor of hope. You know, this woman which struggled for 12 years questioned the existence of God. I'm sure she did. But when you, but you see, she saw this little glimmer of hope that kept her fixated on Jesus. I'm believing today that in this room that there is a glimmer of hope that is being shown to a lot of you guys. There is hope rising in this place where we'd say, if I just get a touch from Jesus, I will be freed from my addiction. If I just keep praying for my family, I will see restoration. If I just keep reaching out to my friends or the people in my life who don't know God, I will see them to come to know Jesus one day. If I just get myself to church on time, I will experience hope. I will experience freedom. I will experience joy. See, just like an anchor, hope latches onto the certainty of a promised future. Revelations 21, 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We see in the now, hope latches onto the hem of His cloak. Can I say, church, Jesus, He is here today. He is here today. And if I, if, if we can just touch Him, if we can just get a hem, touch of His hem of His cloak, I wonder what He can do in our life. If you read earlier in Mark chapter 5, what does Jesus do? It's just in His nature. He's healing a demon-possessed boy, you know, as you do. He's raising a dead girl to life, as you do. And then later on, we see this account of the woman. I'm sure she's like, you know what? If he can do it through that little boy, if he can do it through that little girl, I know that he can do it through me. And can I say, church, if we just get a touch of his clothes, I believe that the same God that did it for this woman can do it for you. Do we believe that today? Come on. I want you to know, whoever you are, that his presence is here today. You know, in this account of Jesus, the, he had his back to the woman. And for some of us, we might feel that Jesus has His back to us. But sometimes, you know, He has His back to us so that we are propelled to worship Him. We are propelled to get His attention. We are propelled to lay out a sacrifice before Him and anchor ourselves in Him. It's not that He was unaware of the, the woman's pursuit of Him. When, when Jesus asked, who touched me? It's not like, oh, He's completely unaware. But He's asking it because He wanted it to be a declaration on her behalf. Church, there is something that you need to bring before God today. There is something that you need to pour out before Him. And, and just like we see take place in that account, Jesus has the power to overcome your situation. He has the power to overcome your situation, not for today, not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but for eternity. Can I encourage you with this? You will have hardship. <laughs> you will have trouble. And sometimes you will not get exactly what you want. 
Are you encouraged yet? <laughs> but God knows exactly what you need. He is more than capable. He has the power. There is nothing too dark in your life. There is nothing too messed up in your life. There is no one too broken here that God hasn't already conquered, amen? See, it was light work for the King of Kings. See, that something that should have polluted Him, something that should have kept Him on the cross, something that should have kept Him on the grave, didn't. Why? Because it is the power of God that is available in Christ Jesus. And can I say, it is available for each and every one of you here today. So as I end, can I encourage you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. I know God is speaking to a lot of people here in this place. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing, but please do not let this moment pass. See, you might even resonate with what I said earlier. You might be angered by the situation that you're in. You might even be anxious about what is coming tomorrow. You might even feel like there is no other option. Today, can I say God wants to release His power over your life to set you free from a life of suffering, an eternity of suffering, and to give you peace today. If that's you, can I encourage you to just lift your hands wherever you are, and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you because I believe that just like this woman, we need to respond in hope and in faith. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, Thank You, God, that You are a God of hope. You are a God who avails Your power, a God who avails Your promise. And Father, I pray that every person who is in this place today that has their hands raised, Father, I pray that they would realise that their situation is not their situation forever that their suffering is only suffering for a season. And just like a seed, Father, You have sown them in their circumstance for a reason. And Father, I pray that as they continue to anchor themselves in hope, Father, I pray that a transformation process will begin, a transformation process that will result them into becoming and being the person that You called them to be. Father, right now I pray for fruit to come out in their lives, God. Not as a result of what they're doing, but because of what You're doing in and through them. Lord, I pray for those who have lost hope, for those who have given up on hope. Right now, we pray for revival. Right now, we pray for an encounter. Lord, right now, we pray that You would raise them up. Lord, and I pray that as a result, they would run after You. You bring clarity to, to their vision so that they may know where You are, Lord God. Father, we thank You that You are a God who is present. You are a God who's partnering with us. And God, we worship You and we surrender it all to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? We're going to worship as we declare this over our lives. Come on.